The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. Fear and laughter are often thought to be on two opposite sides of a spectrum. But I don't buy it. Whether we are talking literature or film, I believe horror and comedy go hand in hand. The two genres are linked by a willingness to be wild, extreme, and over the top. They tap into primal emotions. When the two blend together, we are left with some of the most memorable stories known to mankind. The cult following behind movies such as Evil Dead, The Cabin in the Woods, and my personal favorite, Shaun of the Dead, prove that to be a fact. Within the literary world, I find myself often bouncing back and forth between fright and hilarity while reading books by Chuck Palahniuk, Christopher Moore, Grady Hendrix, and even the master of horror himself, Stephen King. The crass humor shared between the members of the Losers Club always makes me chuckle. And who could forget the pie-eating contest from The Body? Pacing and timing are essential in getting a good scare or a big laugh from an audience. But some creators aren't content with simply choosing one or the other. Sometimes we get both and I think that's something to celebrate. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, we're discussing comedy in horror. I'll be interviewing English teacher and fellow horror author Robert O'Tone. Join us, dear listeners, as we discuss the two genres that Robert Block, author of Psycho, called Opposite Sides of the Same Coin. Welcome, Robert. How you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I am awesome. I'm really excited about this interview. And you and I have already been talking off air for almost 40 minutes. We've almost got a podcast off air. So um, I'm really excited for this conversation. Cool. Yeah, me too. Comedy and horror. It's so funny that you mentioned the Robert Block quote because uh, it's true. <laughs> They're literally, yeah. you know, the two ends that you either typically fall on, you know, like you watch uh a romantic comedy it's like you have that like emotional reaction like oh i'm so glad they got together you know like there's, there's always that sort of like empathy kind of thing or like you have that reaction to wholesomeness or cuteness or whatever but horror and comedy are like the only ones that you could experience almost at the exact same time and they they sort of turn on a you know on a dime or whatever like i was i was watching uh that x movie mm. and uh which i hated um but there was a lot of funny in there as well as some like genuine terror. So like I was laughing at things that Kid Cudi was doing and saying and then immediately horrified by things that were happening to them. So it's it's 
it's accurate. Robert Block is accurate. Who would have thought the guy who wrote Psycho was correct about a million things? <laughs> yeah, right. So let's get into the specifics of that. Why do you think that comedy and horror are such a great mix? I think um, more often than not, people have uh, that reaction when they're frightened, they start laughing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the way to sort of get the adrenaline out. I think a lot of the time you look at how, and I, I pay attention to how the human body and the human mind react to certain things. And I think you know, our immediate response to horror uh, is usually like repulsion sometimes or or just, um, you know, the, the feelings of fright. Like, that's how it should feel. Right. But then we think about it and it's like, that's eh, silly. Like, it's silly for me to react that way. Um, it's silly to think that, you know, a blob could fall from the sky and devour me. It, it's just dumb. But then you really think about it and then you can feel creeped out again about it. Like, oh, no shit. Like, what if that actually did happen? So, yeah, they, they they absolutely go hand in hand. Like when you go see a horror movie, like what's the first thing you hear after a big jump scare? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God. Like, you know, it's it's normal. You know, the older I get, I, I don't laugh at a lot of horror movies. Like I really actively try to, like, immerse myself in them and try to I, I do weird psychological games with myself when I watch any movie um, just because I've. I've taken a bazillion screenwriting classes and it's like i i understand oh here comes the dark moment here comes this beat mm -hmm. here comes this beat you know i try to measure those things in myself so like i measure my own reactions and i know that when i jump or when i get scared or grossed out by something i'm like yes this is effective and again i'm not like one of these people like oh nothing scares me because things scare me all the time in movies um i was just doing this is a, not a movie but similar kind of thing i was just doing um uh, like commentary for Todd Keesling as he's playing Silent Hill 2 for his Patreon um, supporters. And he would jump at things and I would jump at things while we're actually what like it's crazy. I've never watched a Let's Play and jumped at anything before. But being in the moment with him amplified it. And then, of course, what do we both do as soon as we're done jumping? We laugh about it. Yeah. So like it's just it, it just goes well. It's like uh, peanut butter. And chocolate. What's that Stephen King quote? Um, you have chocolate, you have peanut butter, and then you combine them into something delicious or whatever. That's comedy and horror. And some people do it better than others. Um, you know, Jeff Strand certainly is is very funny, but he writes brutal horror. You know, Paul Tremblay, I think, is is a very funny writer, uh, but also his horror is terrifying. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who do it really, really well that I'm inspired by. Yeah. And you kept bringing up this concept, almost like when you're getting scared and getting scared, or maybe the suspense is there, the dread is there, it's building up, it's building up. And the laughter is sort of letting off the steam. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, cause you have to come down if you're staying ratcheted up the entire time. You're just going to be a wreck. And there are movies that do ratchet you up the entire time. Like the original Exorcist ratchets you up the entire time. There's really not a moment of levity in that movie. Um, Audition is another one that ratchets you up the entire time. The Wailing. There's nothing funny about the Wailing at all. It's just constant terror. And um, yeah, and that's great. Those movies are all great and we need them. But they are um, exhausting. But they are exhausting. And it's again, it's like drinking a fine wine 
you can't do it all the time. Sometimes you need a little Chateau Diana. Sometimes you need a little, you know, whatever you got, some Coppola wine, which is not bad. It's just cheap. Um, it can't always be the good stuff. It just can't, um, which is why we have the Halloween franchise, the, you know, Scream franchise. Um, not to make fun of those. I love Halloween. Like Literally, you got Michael Myers right there. Got him right there. Got him right there. Like, I love him, you know. But again, they're not on the same level. Again, like Exorcist, the Wailing, stuff like that is like a fine meal. These other things are delicious as well. They're just not the same kind of thing. No, I totally get that. I guess it's it's going to come up at some point. So before before we go on, I need to talk about the massive backflipping elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead is mm-hmm. my personal favorite horror comedy film, but you told me that you didn't care much for it. So <laughs> let's fight. But no, no, in all in all seriousness, I'm interested. What Mm -hmm. what was it specifically that didn't work for you? Because you told me that you wanted to love it and it just it it just didn't work for you. I didn't think it was funny. Like there was nothing particularly funny to me in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Some moments. Sure. But like I just I found myself just not thinking it was good. And it's weird because I love British humor. I'm a huge Mighty Boosh guy. I'm a huge Snuffbox guy. Matt Berry is like a god to me. So I and I like Spaced. So it was weird that I didn't like Shaun of the Dead. Um, it just didn't click. It didn't click. There was nothing. There was nothing in there that made me think like, oh, man, this is such a brilliant comedy. Like, this is just so damn funny. Whereas One Cut of the Dead, that I thought there was elements that were actually funny in it and again i'm not saying like Shaun of the dead's a bad movie i think Shaun of the dead is is pretty good um it's just not funny it doesn't ring funny to me especially the ending especially him and his friend at the end and yeah it just mm, doesn't work for me (laughs) because i I also have like these weird notions of like what a zombie is Uh in my mind and so like yeah they can be funny but at the same time like the idea of this is just now a husk of a person. It's not the person that you loved. It's not anything. It's just instinct. That's how I think of zombies. So like to see him playing video games with spoilers, uh, playing video games with his friend who is now a zombie at the end of the movie in the shed or whatever. It's just like, like it's just icky to me. And it just didn't, it undercut a lot of the humor. Um, That ending specifically undercut some of the more funny moments. And, they do the horror really well in that movie. It just it's and I think that's I liked that, but it's just the, the funny part just didn't hit me. Did you see Hot Fuzz? No, no, okay. I've always wanted to. I haven't seen it. I've seen clips from it, um, but I haven't seen the whole thing, especially because I love Timothy Dalton. I like the idea of Timothy Dalton as a as a bad guy like that. sounds <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. What about uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Do you see that one? I hate Scott Pilgrim. Um, okay. so I, may, because, I mean, maybe yeah. it's it, it's an Edgar Wright sort of thing for you, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever enjoyed anything. I like don't I like his short film for the grindhouse okay. thing. Like, I think that's hysterical. Do you see Baby Driver? No, no, I want to, though. I would like to. And I, I didn't see the thing that he has out with the, the girl that's in everything now. Um, 
Oh yeah, last, uh, last, last night, night in Soho. Soho. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that yet either. It's on. It's on my my to watch list. I'm sure it's good. Um, and I like him. I think Edgar Wright is an interesting um, filmmaker. I like that he does a lot of different things. I see. Like if Don't was done as a full movie, I would probably be very into that because I'm a sucker for those old like British haunted house type mm. movies. And I think if he did that as like a comedic bend, I would be very into that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to Shaun of the Dead, I know that a lot of it for me is nostalgia. I saw it in theaters and oh, okay. that, that does play a role. But for me, a lot of the, the comedic aspects are things that really really just make me laugh i love the trope of just the guy who is oblivious to all the things that are happening (laughs) around him and the opening of that movie especially like the first 20 minutes or so when the outbreak is happening and you see the film starts with him doing his daily walk out of his uh his 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 flat and down to the convenience store and then back and then when they play that after the outbreak and it's the same thing he trips over the same curb he buys the same all of that but he's so stuck in just the monotony of doing the same thing over and over that he doesn't realize all of the mayhem that is happening literally all around him, whether it's mm-hmm. zombies, whether it's people screaming and running down the road, whether it's blood on the floor that he slips on, like all of that, that just, that to me is hilarious. I love, <laughs> I love that. And I think it's because I see some of myself in that. Oh yeah. I, I can make notes for myself. I'm a big sticky note kind of guy and I put sticky notes everywhere to remind myself of things but once that sticky note has been there for two or three days I no longer see it yeah yeah that's a very human thing you know I I apparently um you know obviously we're doing this all this stuff is going on in Europe and whatnot but like apparently and I had no idea uh apparently Putin again threatened nuclear um retaliation I had no idea that that happened so it goes along with the idea of like being oblivious Mm. to certain things because it's like i didn't know that he did that again like i haven't listened to the news in over a week uh i've been off uh you know teacher life i just got off spring break i'm back now but like i had no idea that that was going on so that and that's part of the funny part of that is that it rings true because we are for the most part fairly oblivious people uh by nature yeah yeah we get we get Um, focused and we're like a we're like a dog with his bone (laughs) Oh, for sure. And like, and it sucks because we miss, you know, not just like what's immediately going around, going on around us, but like we miss what's going on with our friends and our family and stuff too, that like may not be an immediate thing, but is something worth paying attention to. And I think certain books do a really good job of that. But at the same time, like, you know, we need to, as people do a good job, a a better job about you know, paying attention to the things around us in the way that Sean does not. <laughs> and Sean does that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, and again, like it, it goes along. I'm trying to think of like, you know, a horror comedy that I, I, I do laugh at when I, I see, you know, uh, things popping off cabin fever. Cabin mm. fever makes me laugh a little bit is, you know, I, I think and I'm not a big Eli Roth guy. Like, I, you know, um, it's just not my, not my vibe, but, Cabin Fever makes me laugh. Um, 
again, like I said, there were parts in X that made me laugh. Um, but, you know, stuff like that is tricky. It's like it's hard to pull off. And Shaun of the Dead is probably the that's probably the most famous like comedy horror hybrid, I would say. Um, what do you think? Um, it depends on who you talk to. I, I think that some people would want to throw Scream or Evil Dead into the hat for, oh, for that sure. discussion. But for me, I, you know, yeah, Shaun of the Dead is the one for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scream. I think Scream's fair. I think because see, like, that's the that's the difficult part. Right. So here we go. My wife and I, I'm a big American Psycho. I'm a big Brady Snell's fan to begin with. But we just watched the American Psycho movie again the other night. And I'm laughing my head off watching this. And she's mm. like, and I sit there, I was like, this shouldn't be in the horror section on HBO. Like, this is a satire. This is a comedy, you know, like, yes, it's brutal and bloody at points. But like, even the book, which is fucking brutal, is funny at points. It's more funny and satirical than it is like brutal. But and the movie especially is so like that's something I'm laughing at. And it's not even like, Oh, the parts where he's killing people is so funny. It's because they're not, but just every single other thing in that movie is hysterical. And it's just, I think we look at that the wrong way. Even the marketing for it was wrong in that it was like him with a, you know, a kitchen knife looking all like stern and scary and stuff. And it's like, well, it's funny. It is more funny than it is scary for sure. Uh, Scream, uh, same kind of thing like that. I think, I don't know. I mean, would we consider Scream satire? I kind of do. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I have my own feelings about the Scream franchise and that after the second one, just remarkably diminishing returns <laughs> after that second one, it was just got worse and worse. But like, you know, yeah, that's satire and, and, there are funny parts in all of it there. I think the third one, it might be the funniest one out of the three original scream movies. Um, Emily Mortimer is particularly funny, I think in the third one, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard horror and comedy. There's very few people who do it. Well, Edgar Wright certainly is someone who does it well. Cause like I said, spaced was funny. Yeah. Did he do the, the movie where there's like a Seth Rogen is an alien. Ah, uh... I don't know. I know the movie you're talking about, but I, I want to say no, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. I can't, I can't recall, but that movie was funny. Uh, it's science fiction, horror, uh, science fiction comedy, but I feel like sci-fi comedy is harder to pull off. Yes. Than harder. Cause it's like, you know, you got Brazil, <laughs> which is like, uh, again, satire, but it's, that's difficult. But I think, um, wasn't there, uh, a rumor that they're there. I think one of the Silent Hill video games was supposed to be a comedy or something like that. And it's like, no, that's not going to work. And Jaws <laughs> three, Jaws three was written as a, as a satire originally. Um, and then they changed it to what it is. So again, like it's always there. Comedy and horror are always there. Look at your everyday shutter release. There's always like a little bit of comedy in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the way it is. And, Again, like I don't I don't always gravitate to that stuff, but I do appreciate it when it's there. Even parts of John Carpenter's The Thing, which is one of those movies that does not let up for I almost I guess it's almost two hours long. There are some, you know, gal there's a little bit of gallows humor 
in there and there's there's certainly elements that are funny for sure yeah and i guess what makes it so complicated is that there are when it comes to the genres of comedy and horror there are so many sub genres within because just because just because it's a comedy movie doesn't mean that everybody that enjoys comedy is going to like it because it can be you know like black comedy it can Slapstick. be just straightforward goofy ass comedy and i guess that's maybe what you were getting at with American psycho, because for some people, I, I, the comedy, at least for me, the comedy in that movie comes from the fact that it is so extreme and over the top. It is just extra. Everything about that movie is extra, but for some people that quote unquote extraness equates to horrifying. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's the same with, you can sit down and you can listen to interviews from Charles Manson. Some Mm -hmm. people will find that just hilarious because it's so over the top and other people are just terrified by it and they're going to have nightmares. One of the things, and this is something that jumped out at me the last time I, we watched American psycho was like him just moments where he's with his quote unquote friends and, and they're just talking about nonsense Mm-hmm. And it's so hysterical to me because there's there's one point where it's early in the movie where they they look at a bill for their lunch or dinner or whatever it was. And they're like, oh, this is reasonable. Only five something, five hundred and seventy seven. They all throw their credit cards in the mix. And I was thinking at the time I was like, that has happened to me and my friends at least 100 times where we've been like, oh, this is only 400 bucks. This is reasonable. And then we all just throw our cards in there. And then one of us makes fun of the other's credit card. So like, it's weird seeing stuff like that, that jumps out at me. And it's like, it's meant to be satire. And, but I, at the same time, I'm like, that has happened to me and it's silly. And it's like, why would we ever spend $400 on a dinner just between three dudes? Like, it just doesn't, <laughs> it's like, what are we thinking? Like what is happening? And then, you know, again, like later on, they're just like, I'm not going anywhere without a reservation. Like my friends and I have had that conversation a million times and it's like, holy shit, like we're not killing anybody and we're not stockbrokers, but <laughs> like there it is. Like there is our element of truth in that and that it's like we recognize how ridiculous we are and I re- recognize how ridiculous this character is too, but he's doing things that are horrific <laughs> and misogynistic and terrible. None of us are, thank God. But at the same time, it's so insane. And um, it's not the the brutality or anything. Like when he opens his freezer and there are human heads in there, like that doesn't make me laugh. Like that's, I'm just like, ugh, like that's fucked. And then, you know, when he's chasing the, the woman, uh, he's completely nude, covered in blood, running with a chainsaw, wearing only Nikes. That part is that part does make me laugh, yeah. but it's so dark at the same yeah. time because it's like I could see some dude doing that. Him and dropping, it's... dropping the chainsaw down the flight of stairs. That to me, that's the funny part. But then, yeah. yeah, at the same time, it's like if you were in that situation, it wouldn't be fucking funny at all. <laughs> no, it's just it's so absurd. And the fun and that's like the weird thing about that movie is that. Like they that movie is so black and white in that here's funny. Here's scary. Here's funny. Here's scary. 
Whereas the, the Broadway show, which I saw twice, does a better job of making it all very gray area. Mm. The murder, the comedy, the absurdity, how much of a nerd he is, all of this, whether things are real or not, whether things, um, you know, the darkness of it all, his psychological, like it's all much more closely related to the book. However, with song and dance involved and it's it was awesome like it was exactly what i was hoping for with an american psycho adaptation and it straddled the humor in a less obvious way than the movie does not saying that the movie's bad because like i said i do love it but like the play i think did a better job interesting interesting yeah because i i've never seen I, I didn't even know that i didn't know it was a play i thought it was a novel yeah so- it, yeah it was a was novel originally a play and then it was adapted no. as a novel in a movie. No, or? no, it was a novel first. Okay. Um, and uh, then it got turned into the movie and then it became a Broadway show. And uh, here, actually, it's this poster there, but. American Psycho, the musical. Wow. OK. Yeah, it's it was sick. It was great. And, um, you know, I, I just I love it. I can't help it. It's just. um it's so dark and silly and fun and uh, splattery. And I don't usually go for splatter, but like in the American psycho movie and in the Broadway show and the book and stuff, I, the absurdity, I think lends itself naturally to the, the splatter. It's like that movie society. Society is a very gory, gross, like body horror kind of thing. But it's so ridiculous and it is such a sat uh, like a satirical look at things that you know if you live in a certain area you see all the time and seeing that humor and seeing that horror done in that way it's like yep yep that's funny but it's also dark mm. um and it's affecting at the same time and i think that's why society and american psycho to me work on the same level in a lot of ways um just because, you know, I'm I'm in New York, you know, I've known Patrick Bateman's my whole fucking life. Yeah. These guys would never have the guts to do what he does in the book, or at least I hope that they wouldn't. But you could be damn sure. And I certainly went through a phase like this where I was starting every day with an exfoliating cleanser, starting every day with, you know, push-ups, starting every day with an ice mask to reduce puffiness. I still use uh, like an, un- I use way more product on my body than my wife does because I got into that shit because of American Psycho. So like, <laughs> it, it just, it, it stayed, it stayed with me, you know? And I know a lot of guys who do that as well, yeah. um, you know, and, and hopefully, I, I mean, I know I'm not, but hopefully none of them are killing anybody. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny, too, because something that you were saying, it made me think of my last episode of the podcast when I interviewed E.C. Hansen, because we were talking about location and horror. Mm -hmm. And it's it's amazing that even talking about American Psycho and maybe how it hits people differently is very dependent upon location, because you're saying you've had this instance multiple times with friends throwing down the credit card having a big bill for me growing up in the south and living in the south i have never fucking had that experience before i cannot relate to that 
at all. I thought it was another one of those things where the movie is just being extreme and over the top and touching on things that don't actually fucking happen. And now you're telling me and you seem like a pretty normal guy and you've experienced that a lot. And so, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) So like, I think about like regional and that's, that's cool that you guys talked about that. I haven't heard that one yet or watched that one yet, but like, I think, regional horror is really interesting so like i i you know i i look at american psycho and i i see a lot of parallels to things that i've experienced other than killing people thank god um but at the same time like i watch comedy in the same way mm-hmm. like friends is a show that is cancerous and terminally unfunny to me however amen like i i, I don't get it I don't get people Same. who enjoy that. Um, yeah. It's fine if you do. That's great. Get help. But at the same time, I'm a huge Seinfeld guy. Now, I don't know that the humor in Seinfeld or in like a Curb Your Enthusiasm plays necessarily in the Midwest. Like, do people in the Midwest like really get like all the New York humor and the 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 nebbish anxiety and stuff like that? That's normal here like i i'm very much like i'm a disciple of sign i literally have the fucking seinfeld apartment right there and like i i don't know like that's very much a part of me and i just wonder how regional humor works as well because like you know we're talking about delis we're talking about like absurd new york things to catch this stuff happen on the subway just stupid stuff like that that like does that work in Tennessee? Does that work in, you know, Ohio? Like, I don't know. I don't know. And it's the same thing with horror. So, like, I'll watch something like, again, American Psycho takes place in, in New York City. And I feel like it does actually a really good job. So many things get New York City wrong. Whereas I think American Psycho gets New York City right. And I think something like, um, what is it? Uh, the thing with uh, the handsome guy. Oh, shit. Um He's on the Midnight Meat Train. Midnight Meat Train, I think, does a good job of getting New York City right. Mimic, the movie Mimic, which I actually just watched last night. That gets New York City at night, right? Um, and certainly After Hours by Scorsese gets New York City at night, correct? But like when you see parts of the, you know, a, a region, like I can't relate to, you know, people are always like, oh man, the, the nearest house or the nearest town is an hour away. What? Like for me, everything is within 10 minutes. Yeah. Like I, I I could I could throw a rock and hit a restaurant. I could there's literally fucking people everywhere here. So like the the isolation horror, that stuff really gets me because it's like I, I can't relate to that. That's so alien to me. I crave that. Like I want nothing more than to live in the middle of fucking nowhere, surrounded by trees, and that's it. But like my wife, on the other hand, is like, oh, I think we need some people. And I'm like, I don't need any people, but I, you know, I get it. So like, that's something that translates for me that freaks me out that I can't connect to at all. So I wonder again about like the idea of like metropolitan horror or I I can't, there was like a term for it. I can't remember, but like metropolitan horror comedy translating to other parts of the country. And I, I just, I wonder about that stuff a lot. Like I'm working on something now that's very much like a, a, sort of an isolated upstate New York thing. And I'm like, oh, well, 
how does that relate to, you know, somebody in Kentucky or somebody here there? I'm going to Kentucky in July, so I guess I'll find out. But like, I just don't know these places that well. And I think about like, you know, like what you said, the idea of, oh, throwing down credit cards. I, my friend and I, we took our wives out three weeks ago and the bill was 450 and we were just like, oh, here you go. Like, there's the, like, I do, I, this is normal. You know, it's like, I don't know how much a cocktail costs where you are. How much is your average cocktail where you are? Shit. I don't know. Between 10 and 15 bucks. Cool. It's like 25 here. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, it's crazy. Um, what you, you touched on a couple things that really got my brain going. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that when it comes to comedy, the things that make us laugh the most are the things that we can relate to. And so you're right. I, I don't know how much regional specific comedy translates to somebody who's not in that region. But with horror, a lot of the things that scare us are the unknowns, the things we aren't familiar with, the things we don't know a lot about. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's really interesting because for me, I can say that when it comes to reading Clive Barker, for instance, who Mm -hmm. a lot of the times his horror tends to be more centered in big cities and the way that he writes it, it's very grimy and dirty and grungy. And that, that adds to the horror, at least for me, having grown up in the South. And I know that I read blue world and the novella of blue world also takes place. I think it's in New York. I don't know. It's, it's a big city. I'm pretty sure it's New York. Yeah. It was a region, a setting that I personally can't relate with, but that made it more scary for me. And so I, I'd imagine though, on the flip side, even though maybe that, the scares might not hit as much for somebody who lives there. They're still going to enjoy it because of the relatability, because of the familiarity. Oh, yeah. Um, Todd Keesling's book, uh, Devil's Creek, um, is filled with religious terror. And or, or there are, you know, if you just want, don't want to say filled with it, but you can say like, you know, has elements of religious terror. But. At the same time, like I can't I can't connect to religious terror. Like I didn't grow up in like a fucking Bible thumping area like we're in godless New York. We're all heathens here. Um, but at the same time, like that is terrifying to me. The idea of religious fanaticism mm. is terrifying regard because we see it every day. What's fundamentalism? You know, it's 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 something that comes for us all the time. We see it all like don't say gay. Yeah, that's yeah. fundamentalism. Like we see it and it's terrifying and, and we can all connect to it because we're understanding, you know, rational, normal people. Like we we know that that's a bad thing, you know, but there are people who don't think it's a bad thing and they're the other. Right. And this goes along. I, I think it was John Carpenter. He's like, when you're around the campfire telling stories to scare each other, it's not the people around the campfire. You got to worry about it. It's who's on the outside of that campfire. And it's always the other that's scary. And like, that's a universal. We can all relate to that. So like, yeah, I could find myself in the middle of wherever, one of the flyover square states that I don't know where it is. And if I'm there, 
as a New Yorker, and God forbid I say something that's specifically regional or Northeast or indicates, oh, this guy's from New York. That could be a problem. Like, uh, like I'm, like I said, I'm going to Kentucky in early July. I was saying Louisville. If I say Louisville in Kentucky, they're going to know that I'm from New York and that's bad. It's Louisville. So like things like that, little things like that, that we can connect to. It's all scary. Um, Big city stuff, scary. Midwest Southern horror, scary. Like, and I think that's kind of the fun part of it because different parts of the country settled by different individuals brings a whole new level (laughs) of, of horror. You know, you go to like, Louisiana and you have the um, like a Haitian Creole influence and all of the beautiful, rich tapestry of culture that that brings with it. Uh, You know, the Midwest uh, Germanic Irish, you know, here in New York, Dutch um, and, you know, everybody, you know, thankfully, because, you know, Ellis Island and all that, you have an amazing tapestry here, but that's all everybody brings with them their own tradition. And that stuff is exciting to explore Whereas the humor is so different because like, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine watching um, the, the, Oh God, who is it? The getter done guy like that. That leaves me. I don't get it. That shit leaves me cold. I don't understand it. I don't understand. Like, Oh man, my pickup truck broke down. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Country music. Mean? You don't understand it. I don't understand it. And I know it's like the biggest thing in the world in the, or in the country. I know it's number one. I just, I don't understand it. It doesn't connect to me. Um, but at the same time, the bands that I like won't connect in those parts of the country. So like, it's just different strokes for different folks, but horror is always the, the one that brings us together. Our fears bring us together. Our senses of humor might divide us, but what we're all afraid of is typically the same thing. And it's always the other. Yeah. Yeah. And horror as a genre, it can often be quite heavy. You know, it focuses on difficult topics, like Mm -hmm. grief, trauma, fear. And there are a lot of folks that are just instantly turned off by that. And they, they won't give scary movies or horror books a try. So do you think, that by mixing horror with comedy that it creates maybe a bit of a gateway drug for those that are on the fence. I do. Uh, I I think a lot of times children um, discover funny, scary things uh, that serves as their gateway drug. Um, Whether it's something like, you know, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 38. When I was a kid, I grew up watching horror, but at the same time, I really love the Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Like the original Ghostbusters movie is actually very terrifying, but it's also hysterical. Yeah. But again, it's that very New York kind of humor, which I get like, you know, and it is more or less universal now, I guess, but it is very much like a Northeast thing because all the SNL people, but like that was a, a tremendously scary movie that if you take all the laughs out of that movie, you have a great action horror movie. And with the laughs, it just pluses it, that Disney phrase, right? Like you plus it by throwing something else into it or you make it elevated, as like A24 <laughs> likes to say. But like, again, you know, that served as a lot of people, I think, gateway drug into horror itself. Oh, I watched Ghostbusters or I watched the Ghostbusters cartoon mm. or I grew up watching Scooby-Doo. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Like I can, I appreciate it as an adult being like, that shit's hysterical, but it's, it can also be pretty intense and scary. Like some of their creature designs on that show were actually top notch. So again, it, it all kind of goes from there. And then the, I think the, the most exciting thing is like seeing a kid, like my nephew is like very spooked by, by horror and stuff, but he also has started writing horror himself and seeing the things that influence him. And then he kind of discovers what influenced those things. Mm. So like yeah. he wrote something, some sort of ghost story the other day. And he was like, oh, I, I read this book in school. Um, and, and there was like, it was like a ghost or whatever. And I was like, huh, well, that thing that they're referencing is actually this. And it was like, you know, a classic ghost story kind of thing. And I don't remember what it was, but when he told me about it, I was like, oh, I know what that is. And I kind of told him about that. And then, um, you know, sort of he did his own little research and stuff. So like, and that's how it all starts. Like, that's how the, the ball gets a rolling. Right. And that's how you make a horror fan or a comedy fan is like you find these references and you you analyze them and then you discover what inspired those references. And then it's just a rabbit hole after a rabbit hole. You know, um, I, I watch, you know, I see comedies and stuff all the time. Um, my wife is she's very funny and she enjoys a lot of different kinds of comedy and whatnot. And um, we'll be watching something and. You know, we're all oh, 30 Rock is a good example. We'll be watching 30 Rock or whatever. And Tina Fey's dad on 30 Rock is a guy named Buck Henry. Do you know who Buck Henry was? Um, it's OK if you don't. He's old school. I don't think so. I've heard the name, but yeah. So Buck Henry was a very legendary comedy writer. So for him to be playing <laughs> Tina Fey, who is now a legendary comedy writer's dad, is a nice little throwback and nod to how influential he was. So like when you know these things and you go into these things, and you discover like, holy shit, there's Buck Henry. Like that's, that's Tina Fey's dad on this show. Like it's just little things like that, I think are what sort of help make fans of horror, fans of comedy um, flourish a little bit more, you know, mm. I'm old. I I'm filled with old references. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's like, I, I made a honeymooners reference today in school and my student was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I had to explain it. Um, You're not too much older than me. I was born in 87. Oh, okay. Nice. We're only a couple of years apart then. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, you know, and but at the same time, like you mentioned these things, these these older movies or older references to young people and they just have no fucking clue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's cool, though, because then they can go and discover it themselves. Like you can mention something and that's it. Like my student today, yeah, they mentioned their their dad was uh, is a bus driver. And I was like, oh, like Ralph Crampton from the Honeymooners. And they were like, I don't know what that is. And more than likely, his parents don't know what that is. So he wrote it down. Now he's going to go home and be like, hey, here's this old show from the 30s or whatever it is from the 40s or whatever the fuck. And, uh, you know, now they're going to fall down a rabbit hole of who the honeymooners are. That's who this kid is. Like, he just he lives for this stuff. But oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you, yeah. you knew you knew exactly what you were doing when you dropped that on him. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's going to come in tomorrow and be like, Mr. O, I watched a couple clips on YouTube. And it's like, nice. Good. I'm glad you have access to all of this information that when I was a kid would have taken me weeks to find. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. <laughs> I've got a, a listener question, someone on Instagram that 
calls themselves a big fan of yours. And <laughs> that's sweet of them. <laughs> <laughs> here, here, here's what they, they said. I heard a comedy writer say pitch horror. And if they laugh, it's a bonus. What does Rob think of that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's the elevation. Um, if you can pitch something that's scary and, and it also happens to make somebody laugh, that's a winner. Yeah. That's plussing it. That's, that's adding the, uh, the elevation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that completely. I, I wonder who it was that said that I'd be interested to know. I'll, I'll let you know when we're done. I don't, Yeah. I guess oh, I should cool. ask people about that. If I'm going to use their question, like, do you care if I shout you out? <laughs> 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 but I did. I figured you'd want to know. So I, I, I made note of the person's name and their IG tag. But oh, so that's very sweet. Remind me if I forget when we end this. <laughs> well, I that's really cool that they asked that. And that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so, too. OK, let's switch gears a bit and talk about your writing, your prolific in short form fiction you've had stories published online and in numerous anthologies and then you've even got a single author collection entitled her infernal name and other nightmares but i also understand that you've got a young adult horror novel out and that it's the first in a trilogy. So tell us a bit about the triangle and why you decided to wade into young adult fiction <laughs> i was thinking about doing like a shark kind of yes kind of thing. <laughs> i just finished my reread of jaws so do all oh the yeah shark i saw that content you want <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i had a cool i did an interview one time and they asked if you could remake or rewrite any novel what would it be and i said i chose jaws mm. um this is my dad's favorite movie um so yes the triangle is the first in a young adult trilogy of uh cosmic dystopian horror um my goal or you know what i was hoping would be my goal i guess was um i wanted to bring cosmic horror to younger readers and um i wanted to sort of introduce tenets of um lovecraft block um and other horror authors uh you know Al you know algernon blackwood i guess um to uh, a younger audience so I took sort of um, I, I cherry picked I cherry picked mm. from uh, different, you know, Lovecraftian mythos and uh, sort of concocted this insane dystopian, horrifying water world meets, uh, you know, uh, at the mountains of madness kind of horror uh, Frankenstein monster. And um, I'm very happy with it. I, I'm, you know. I wouldn't be talking about it if I wasn't proud of it, but it's available now. And um, the paperback is literally less than 10 bucks after taxes. So that's, I love that. That was probably my, that was my favorite thing that's happened. I, I'm very happy with my publisher, but like, I was really happy that they kept the price of the book below 10 bucks after mm, taxes. Like mm, that makes me, I, I, that's something I try to do with spooky ass press is keep all of our books affordable. And so when they, when the Raven tale, who published is who's publishing this trilogy kept it below 10 bucks. I was very ecstatic and um, I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy. The response has been good. Um, 
could always use more reviews on the Amazon. But uh, yeah, everything is is going pretty well with it. And um, I turned in the second one a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I just saw an early version of the cover for the second one. It's almost there. I sent them. I sent them notes. I feel like I bust their chops a lot, and I don't mean to. I just really want things to look good. Um, yes. And I think that's that comes from publishing like having my own publishing small press because I, I just want the best possible thing out there. And they haven't complained about me giving them notes and whatnot. So I guess that's okay. But yeah, so far so good. Um, you know, I hope people pick it up. I hope they enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I hope you leave a review and, and get in touch with me and tell me if you liked it or hated it. If you hated it, I'm sorry. Um, if you liked it, cool. But yeah, <laughs> the triangle uh, is the first in a trilogy, and the second one is uh, has uh, the whole reason I wanted to write the second one was there's a a battle scene that occurs in it that to me is like my version of the Battle of Helm's Deep, and oh. it it is bonkers. It's really all over the place, and it's. I think to in for me the second book the scariest part of the second book is that battle and is just terrifying because I I always like to have like a, an honest reaction people's real reaction to violence and um there's so many moments where it's just so loud and so scary and so confusing that I've never been in war however if I were to experience it I would imagine it would be pretty similar to what is happening in this story. But again, I, I can't speak to that experience, um, but I imagine it would be pretty scary. Mm. That's really, first off, that's really cool that Raven tail allows you to give feedback on, on the cover. I, I love that because I, I do strongly believe that authors should have a say in their covers that doesn't always happen so good good on them for for giving you that opportunity but also i love the fact that you mentioned that you wanted to you you wrote this book with the desire in mind to introduce younger readers to cosmic horror because cosmic horror is one of the the major pillars within the genre that goes back and has a very rich history, so, sometimes complicated history, mm -hmm. yeah. but at the same time, as you said that, and I, I, my brain was going, I'm like, wait a second, cosmic horror, it does tend to be very mature in the themes that it presents. So good on you for, for wanting to introduce younger audiences to that. And, and let me ask you this. I know that mm -hmm. the first story takes place out at sea mm -hmm. are the subsequent novels in the trilogy going to do the same or is, is that getting into spoiler territory no that doesn't get into spoiler territory the whole world is flooded okay um, okay so there's there's very little actual ground left gotcha. and one of the one of the parts um one of the through lines of the whole trilogy is there is a beach that seems to be untouched and unknown and by book three that will be completely revealed as to where that is what that is etc 
but um, it's you see it in the first book. You don't really you hear about it in the second book. You don't see it at all in the second book. Spoilers. But like, yeah, that's um, that's kind of how that goes. And I also like every time I try to write something, it's a challenge. Like I always want to challenge myself to do something different and um, taking and it's actually kind of funny. So like the ideas of, of, you know, coming of age or you know, the physicality that comes along with growing older and changing, going through puberty and all that stuff. All of that is so cosmic and it's so terrifying. And if you really think about it, your body is becoming occupied by something new. You are becoming something different than you were only a year or two before. Your brain is soaking in chemicals that you've never experienced before, and it's changing your personality so much. Mm. There's nothing more cosmic than puberty. And I think it's a natural extension of the young adult horror genre to go cosmic. Because when we're kids, when we're teenagers, everything is the end of the world. Yeah. Everything that happens to us is just the absolute end of the world. What happens when it could actually be? I wrote this down. This is so quotable, man. And <laughs> I, I don't know if you even caught that you said it, but there's nothing more cosmic than puberty. Mm-hmm. That shit needs to be on your next book, like on the cover, <laughs> a little blurb. <laughs> but That's no, it's it. true. It is. It's yeah. true. Everything be- because of the chemicals that are just flooding a a a a person's body as they're going through puberty and it's all new and you're sort of still getting your bearings and everything's the end of the world or the beginning of the world especially you you think about relationships and i i can remember back i i'm dating a girl which you know equated to sometimes you'd hold hands sometimes you wouldn't talk to each other because certain friends were around blah 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 and it lasts yep. for, you know, maybe 10 days, 14 days, and then it ends. And it's as if I'm never going to love again. I'm never going to be happy again. <laughs> yep. You know, what's kind of funny, too. Like, you think about that stuff. Like, wouldn't you, and maybe I'm wrong, but like, wouldn't you love to feel that again just for like a second? Like that rush of of chemical, that rush of like, this is everything, this is nothing. Just one more time. Because as we get older. Yes, I'll just say yes. Yeah, like we will never have that again. And like, I'm cursed with a long memory. Mm -hmm, Me too. And I I just, I remember my first kiss. I remember so much of like all of these things that mattered so much. First yep. time I held a girl's hand, first yep. time, all of that stuff. And it's just like, we'll never have, you know, when I kissed my wife for the first time and all of those things, incredible. But like, I was already an adult, you know, and, and like, it was amazing, but it was different. Whereas this was like, oh my God, this is like colossal. This is the world. And then now everything after that is just wow we're just gaining experience and we're we're getting older and yeah but it's just it's so weird just to feel those chemicals again man just to feel that rush yeah that's what it really is is it's like an intense rush and we don't have that we'll never have it again i i think that a lot of the times when it comes to this specific question this mindset there are two camps 
mm-hmm. because there are then also those people that just, I hated high school. I hated that time in my life. I never want to go back. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm the opposite. I, I live in that time a lot in my head and especially yeah. in my writing. Yeah. And, you know, but we are also of the, the, the types of personalities where we are always chasing that first high again. So we are definitely the people that never need to put a heroin needle in our arm because that will start us off on a path that we will never be able to, we'll we'll never be able to reach that. And I know that's a lot of people that do get addicted to certain drugs. They're Mm -hmm. always chasing that first high and you're never going to be able to get it again. Yep. And so I'd imagine you and I probably have to do that a lot in life. We have to fight against that at times. Otherwise, we're never going to be happy because never nothing's ever going to stack up against that first time of this or that. Yeah, just, <laughs> it's it's and it's it's crazy to think. I love that you compared it to, you know, not sticking a needle in your arm. And, and you know, like I I find myself you know, enjoying new things and and getting that rush in a different way as I get older. It's not the same, but it's close. It's close. When I discover a new band that I love or I discover, you know, I just I (laughs) 38 years old and I only this year started enjoying the occasional cigarette. I've always been a cigar guy, but now I'm like enjoying cigarettes for the first time as a grown ass man. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I like this. I like this feeling. And, you know, it's just like things like that. It's just, God, yeah, I would never stick a needle in my arm. I'm not, you know, you know, there are other experiences I would endeavor to try, but I don't feel like I would need them to get by. Mm. Whereas all of these things happening when you're young, that's everything. That's the your everything when you're young is the next rush. Yeah. And the next yeah, time. Just living. Yeah. It's it's intoxicating. And it's like it, it lasts until probably lasts until you get your first real job. Then it's over. <laughs> All downhill. It really is. <laughs> it really, really is. But again, like the and I, you know, and it's it's a quote from a movie that people don't particularly like, like Superman Returns. But again, you can see through another's eyes their first time experiencing these things. Like I'm looking forward to my nephew and my niece experiencing this rush of newness. Yes. But also, I don't know that kids experience it the same way because we have access to a world of information in our pockets. So I think kids mature a lot faster than they ever did. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and I, I personally, I think that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's the reality. It is what it is, but I do think that it, it steals the, that excitement and that newness and that mystery of life. That is Mm -hmm. such a huge part of my childhood experience Mm -hmm. And I hate that kids are having to grow up so much faster now. And yeah, it's, it's, it's rough, but that's once again, why I love fiction so much. I love movies. I love books because it can, it can still offer some of those feelings to kids and, and being able to, I I mean, books, 
books and movies are sort of like a time machine, essentially. Yeah. And being able to go back to that and then that can spawn conversations. But, you know, I'd be interested to hear from you. We're, we're talking a lot about nostalgia. And yeah, I, I, I made that connection with a needle in the arm because for me personally, nostalgia is a, an intoxicating drug. And, and I love it and I'm addicted to it. So you, you mentioned you're in this phase now where you're, you're trying new things and, and that's a cool thing, but mm -hmm. are you also somebody that really revels in the things that you know and are comfortable with? For instance, are there certain bands, are there certain shows or movies that you will listen to or watch over and over and over, sometimes even falling asleep to them? Because mm -hmm. I, I know that for me, that brings a lot of comfort. Yeah. Um, definitely movies, uh, bands. I I'm pretty, I, I go wide with mm -hmm. uh, the music mm -hmm. I listen to and I, and I like to discover new things and I like to get obsessed with new things. And, um, you know, I, I try to go outside of my comfort zone with music a lot and film as well. But there are movies that I'm always like, I could watch that again. I could watch that again right now. And I go back like I've. I, I've watched the Batman now that it's on HBO Max, I've watched it, I think, twice. I've rented the th I rented out a movie theater to see it when it came out. I took off from work. I rented the theater. My wife, my mom and my in-laws all went. It was like five of us worth every penny. And, you know, so I got to see it opening day, morning of. And now I've watched it two more. So I've seen it three times. It's three hours almost. And I could watch it again right now. Like, I, I will always love that Seinfeld is something I go back to. Curb Your Enthusiasm, same thing. Seinfeld was hard for me because it was my dad's favorite show. Mm. So I didn't watch it for like two years. Wow. And then I, I fell back into it and it was it was like a warm blanket again. Halloween is one yes. that I go back to all the time. The Exorcist. Yes. Yeah, so for sure. But I, I also, it, I love that you said that about nostalgia because I see nostalgia a lot of the time as crippling. And... I think that if we are ever going to push the narrative or push um, art forward, we have to not be afraid to destroy the things we love. So like the new Ghostbusters is an example. The one with the kids. That movie is nothing but nostalgia. And it's awful. It really is terrible. Um, the new Halloween movies are nostalgia for the wrong thing. They're nostalgia for slashers. The original Halloween is not a slasher movie. That is a Robert Block inspired thriller that has little to no gore to it. And in fact, I would posit that the original Psycho has more gore to it than the original Halloween. So I think a lot of the times we get obsessed and blinded by our own nostalgia Stranger Things is a good example. Why is Stranger Things popular? 80s music, set in the 80s, yep. cute kids. Yep. I, I remember watching the first season of Stranger Things and being like, I, I would look at my friend who's who he does enjoy horror, but he doesn't have the encyclopedic knowledge like we do. And I'd be like, well, unfortunately, this is just Firestarter meets this, meet, you know, the, the, all of yeah. these things. And it's like, 
I, I worry about stuff like that because like, and I appreciate it. my friend is actually in this season four of uh, stranger things. She has a small part. So I'm really charged up for her. I want to watch it just for her. Yeah. But like, you know, it, it is a trip down memory lane that I think we, and this is a weird thing. I think we all have this weird shared vernacular or we think we do of like, Oh, that's that song from this 80s movie or man, that's like this scene in this horror movie or like whatever. And it's like, well, when you go back and really look at these things, they're not that way. A hundred percent, but we all have this shared concept, right? So like looking at the new Ghostbusters movie, my reaction to it was very negative. Whereas I know a lot of people really loved it. And they're like, Oh man, it was so nostalgic. It was so great. It reminded me of the original. And I remember thinking, like, in what part of the original were there a bunch of little fucking kids on a farm? <laughs> like, what what are we talking about here? Um, so I think a lot of, you know, and I, again, I go back to the Batman. I think the Batman does a very good job of dismantling nostalgia and throwing out your expectations. And I think that's kind of what we need to do. And maybe that's what they were trying to do with Halloween. With the new Halloween, I mean, mm-hmm. but like you can't say, oh, man, we're so religiously obsessed with the original Halloween. We're going to do a new. And then it's like it's just a nonstop bloodbath because it's not what it is. And I get that people like it. That's cool. Great. Awesome. Evil dies tonight, guys. I'm, I'm in it. But like. <clears throat> I think nostalgia can poison the well more often than it can nurture us. Mm. I hear what you're saying. I struggle with a lot of it, yeah. but it's also like I've admitted, I know that nostalgia is huge for me. Yeah. And, and, and I can understand the perspective when people don't like fan service, they want mm-hmm. something new. And yeah. there are times when I want something new, but I, I, I tend to, I, I tend to give an easy pass to fan service. I'm a huge mm-hmm. star Wars fan. And I know that the force awakens was just a rehash of a new hope. Yeah, but I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Same with the new Halloween movies. Yeah, the the Easter eggs and the callbacks and the the same actors coming back. Mm-hmm. Give me more of it. I I love it. I do think there was what some people were frustrated in with Halloween Kills was some of the rewriting of past history, going back to that time and making some changes. But now, for me, I liked it. I really liked that because it 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 mixed the two. I gotta I, tell I you, like. I gotta tell you, if all of Halloween Kills had been a continuation of the original movie set in the seventies, Grand Slam, I would have loved that. How they caught him that night, mm-hmm. that would have been a movie. That would have been an interesting exercise. But because that was the best part of Halloween Kills was that little prequel set in 1978 like that shit was great that fired on chills all fucking cylinders for me and i didn't even mind that that's how they caught him because that's how they fucking caught him when he was nine like that's great keep doing all of that but then the second it turned into uh, a universal frankenstein movie um Yeah. yeah that's when i was out same thing with malignant greetings dear listeners If you're enjoying my conversation with Robert O'Tone, please let him know. 
Take a screenshot or picture of the episode cover on whichever platform you're using, then post it to social media. Tag Robert and myself and let us know what you like about our chat. We'd really love it if you joined the discussion. Alright, thanks for the support. And now, back to the show. Everybody got hot to trot for Malignant. Like, people calling it a Giallo movie and people being like, well, James Wan knew what he was doing. Do you really think James Wan wanted to make a terrible movie? Like, he just came off Aquaman. That movie was a monster hit, especially in Asia. Why would he make a tiny, terrible horror movie? Why do you think he didn't say anything about it just going right to HBO Max? That movie was bad. Like, and, and I get like the apologist, like Monday morning quarterbacking of like, oh my God, it was meant to be like this. It was, it was meant to be absurd and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, all right, if that's your vibe, <laughs> like, if that's the take that you want to have, that's cool. But like, I, I don't think a guy who's that talented would purposely make a bad movie. I think he had, I don't think he's Tommy Wiseau. I think Tommy Wiseau knew what he was doing when he was making The Room. I don't think James Wan knew what he was doing when he was making Malignant. I think he was really trying hard to make something good. And I think people read that movie the wrong way and they just leaned into it. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on that. I enjoyed the movie. I loved it. But I also love fucking stupid, terrible horror movies. And yeah, and yeah I don't I don't think that it was some statement he was trying to make. I think he fucking loved it. But it, yeah, it's not a good movie in terms of the writing yeah. and, and the, the story, but it was fun. At least for me, it was fun. And the ridiculousness of it was what made it fun. But yeah, my, <laughs> yeah. My, my wife was we were watching it together and my wife called it within five minutes of that movie started what the big thing was going to be. And I was Same. like, shit, I was like, wow, I did not. OK. <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. But yeah, I, I think it's hard, though. And and again, I you look, there's going to be a new Ninja Turtles movie, right? Like Seth Rogen's producing a new Ninja Turtles movie. I love the Ninja Turtles. I'm here for Ninja Turtles. I'll, I'll see whatever new Ninja Turtle thing comes out. There's certain things. All right. So like Marvel. I don't care anymore. I just don't have it in me to give a Bro, shit about. I'm getting, I'm getting there, man. Sorry, sorry, Spencer. No. When you listen to this, and I always gotta, I go, I, I feel like I'm always shouting out Spencer Hamilton, but oh. yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I just, yeah, I'm so it's, far behind on shows and even a few of the movies. It's they all end the same way, man. Big scary thing in the sky, faceless enemies that'll be okay to kill. Uh, the hero and his ragtag friend who somehow is on the front line with them for whatever fucking reason. I'm looking at you, Aquafina in Shang-Chi. What the fuck were you even doing there? Like, and she was the best part of the whole movie. And I like Shang-Chi, but like, it's the same shit over and over, which is like when the Batman did something different. And it was, I like when superhero movies do a more personal story. Yeah. Not everything needs to be the end of the world. Yes. And I think yes. like that's what Marvel's afraid to do is to tell smaller, more intricate personal stories. Like even Civil War really turned into a very personal story towards the end. And that's one of their best. Winter Soldier is my favorite. And to me, yeah. it wasn't the big fight at the fucking end that made that movie. It was this friendship that mm -hmm. was being torn apart. That's why I like Guardians, too. 
I think Guardians 2 is vastly superior to the first one. Yeah. It's a it's a story about a father and son. Yeah. yeah. And it's sad and it's beautiful and it's funny and scary at points as well. But like again, it doesn't that's the the wash rinse repeat problem with yes. those movies and like I, I just can't get down with it anymore. And I know that they're going to make a ton of dough. It doesn't matter to me. And it's I can't I can't vibe with it anymore. And like I'm I'm more excited for the beginnings of a new bat franchise. I'm more excited for, you know, what's going to happen, even though he gets arrested every other week in Hawaii. Like I'm excited to see what happens with the Flash like that. That's the possibilities of that, that stuff. And it's also I'm a DC guy. I mean, I have Booster Gold right on the wall here. I love him. I can't help it. I am more interested in that. And I like a more intimate story. I like something that, that tells me about who the character is and turns that character into something else uh, than about the hero standing on half a destroyed city, making jokes about shawarma. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's something, there's something, there's something really that makes me uncomfortable going into the end of that first Avengers movie. That's like a 9-11 scale event. And then these assholes are just around the corner in a restaurant. I I don't know. There's something wrong there for me. And uh, I'd rather approach it. And I'd rather see it done in a different way like that. That ain't for me. That kind of nostalgia ain't for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, now that we've lost half of our, our audience, uh, <laughs> All no, the cool I do. People are DC fans, man. The Lovecraft DC and crew, they're DC guys. So okay. Yeah. I, I do. I want to get back to your writing <laughs> because that's what this is about. Shit. <laughs> we were, we weren't talking about I'm that. sorry. That's my fault. Man. Veered off. Ah, no, I get, I, I do the same thing. I'm an off the rails kind of interview guy. <laughs> I just, but I, I, I like to be more natural and let it roll. And, and what, the things that we're passionate about, we got to talk about them. Yeah. So I recently read one of your short stories. It was called A Child Awakens. And if I had to describe it, I'd say that it's an emotional, speculative sci-fi piece. And the writing style that you used in this particular tale reminded me of Ray Bradbury. Would you say that Ray Bradbury is one of your writing influences? That is very kind. Yeah, for sure. That's really kind of you to say. Um, yeah, Ray Bradbury is definitely one of my uh, influences. I read, um, what's it called? The uh, the Halloween tree every mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah, I, I do a lot of Bradbury with my students. I show them uh, some episodes of Ray Bradbury theater. So, yeah. I uh, I would say Bradbury is definitely um, one of my one of my influences for sure. Right. So thank you. That's very kind of you. To yeah. Say. No. And that makes me want to read more of your your short fiction, because and one of the biggest things that made me feel that way is that with with that particular story, A Child Awakens, you just you drop the reader into something into this world that you don't explain very much about. There's a lot of mystery, but at the same time, it feels well-rounded. It feels real. And there's so much more there. But at the same time, I wasn't jonesing to learn the backstory. I wasn't, I, 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 
I, I felt confused about certain things, but it didn't feel necessary. I was invested mm-hmm. in this character. And Bradbury did a really good job about that with, with, with his short fiction. Mm-hmm. There, there weren't a lot of answers given. And yeah. a, a lot of the times it was taking place in, in a far off future or a far mm-hmm. off planet. And it felt alien. It felt strange. But the emotional impact of it felt very human and relatable. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I felt like you did that very well in that story. Thank you. Thank you. I, um, one of the things that I, when I was thinking about that story, when I was writing it and stuff, I, I was thinking about um, specifically the Velt. Bradbury's The Velt was, was a, a very big influence. And, and it goes along with like, you know, the, he doesn't explain like how the world actually is. He, he does a good job of predicting um, where children's levels of maturity uh, with so much entertainment at their fingertips would take them, yeah. which is alarming that he was so good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, definitely one of those things. I was just trying to think of like, whenever I write something, I try to go with like the natural extension of humanity and how we would actually respond to things like, um, you know, a parent who can't conceive a child, like, would they turn to something like this? Would they, you know, um, turn to the idea of, of having a, um, you know, a robotic child. And it's, it's, we've seen stuff like that before, but like, we haven't seen it from the people at the company's perspective and how they sort of would react to something like that. So that's what I wanted to, um, really look at with that story, which you can read online. If people listening, you can find it online for free. So yeah, you should, uh, you should all check that out and then cry. Cause my wife cried when she got to the end of it. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, definitely. I'll search that out. A child awakens. It's, it's a quick read as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that, that you said that you're leaning into the human emotions, that aspect of it, because I do the same thing. You know, my, I sort of, my tagline is that I write stories with horror and heart. Mm-hmm. And to me that it, it makes when, when you spend time with a character and you care about them, you care about their feelings. Yeah. It makes the horror that much more horrific, more terrifying because you are invested. And so I, I try to lean really deeply into creating well-rounded characters and and a lot of my stuff, especially my longer works of fiction, they'd be considered more slow burn. Mm-hmm. But it's because I, I do believe you've, you've got to build that runway before the plane takes off. Oh, yeah. And and that's that's really important to me. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you you feel that way. And I definitely picked it up in that in that short story. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it, it, again, I, I could not agree with you more like if we don't care about the, the people who are either going to die or go through something horrible, then like, why are we reading this? Like, um, you know, and, and, but again, like that's, that goes along with like the tropes of horror and people's general outlook on horror is like, Oh, well, it's just a bunch of teenagers uh, getting killed by a dude in a mask. And it's like, well, when you take the time to get to know those teenagers, like then you care, like Halloween, 1978. Totally. You know, like, like you totally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like I, 
I watched that movie and like I, I love all three of those girls. They're all incredible. I love yes. every character in that movie. Yes. But I especially like as I get older, I like Annie. Annie is my gal. And I'm just like she and I think and this is weird because I don't feel this reaction in too many movies. I'm like, that's the girl I would have had a huge crush on mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. Like I would have been like, oh, my God, Annie, like Annie Brackett is just like gorgeous and funny and sassy and like you know i married a woman exactly like her which is awesome so i'm very happy about that but like you know sydney and scream like i remember being like that's a girl that i i would be wanting to hang out with and i would probably have a crush on her like randy because i am a lot like him you know like when you get to know these people and you make these connections it makes it so much better you know like yeah if you're just watching like a random friday the 13th movie I, I can't connect to any of those people. So when the bodies start dropping, I just don't care reading. Um, and it goes the same thing with, with fiction too, like the fisherman, by John Langan, I, I connected to both of the leads in that book. Like I the, love the, the, that. I'm a fanboy for Langan. So yeah, I love that book. Big time, big time. Same. Um, that book wrecked me. I've read it a couple times now. And the, the oh. most recent time that I read it, I wept at the end like I, I was like inconsolable <laughs> like it, it devastated me and cabin at the end of the world by paul trembley i was able i connected with that family from the jump the 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 two um the two fathers and the their daughter like i just i felt so much for those for those characters and so when things started to go wrong i was like oh my god like this is killing me mm-hmm. um but again, like if we don't have that reaction, if we don't get that time to spend with, you know, it's hard to do in a short story because you don't have, you know, sometimes you have the word count issues that you got to deal with or like you just can't um, explore it the way that you'd want to. I think um, Ballingrud is a good example of a guy who economy of words usually translates to something special. Um, Wild Acre is a short story about a werewolf attack. And it's not so much like the werewolf itself that's scary. The scary aspect of that comes from what happens after and like Mm. how all of these lives in the story are just fucking ruined as a result of this creature attacking uh, a guy and his two uh, workers. That's like Jaws, right? The, the, The power of Jaws is how it affects the city and the people of that city. Yep. Yep. And that's another thing. So like going to Jaws, I live on an island. So I understand how important it is for, especially on the East end of Long Island, for them to make those summer dollars. And anytime there's a shark out there, they fucking find it. They kill it. They get rid of it. (laughs) Like it happens. Like it's legit. And the guy who Quint was based on was a fisherman out in the Hamptons. Wow. Out in Montauk. And when he died here on Long Island, it was a big deal because that mm. guy was like a bad. He was a legitimate badass. And when he actually died, people were like, this This is like the end of the fisherman era on Long Island kind of thing. And again, it, it when you have that human element and you make it less about the horror and the creature and stuff like that, and you have it about the people. That's when it gets good. That's why the only good Indians was so fucking good. Because like 
yes, it, it's the, you know, the elk, the elkhead woman is, is an interesting villain, quote unquote. What I, I don't see her really as a villain, but she's incredible. But like, I liked all those dudes. I liked all those characters going through that story. Like I, I there wasn't one that I didn't like. I haven't um, read it yet. It is it's loaded on my Kindle, and, but I have I've read a number of his other yeah. books, and yeah, I'm ex- I'm I'm excited about it because yeah, he he does he focuses a lot on the characters, and they're they're fun and they're quirky and and they're real. Mm-hmm. Flawed. Oh yeah, and again, it's just that's the exciting part when you can, you know, introduce characters that aren't perfect and that again in in the the triangle book i wanted her the a young girl young teenage girl as the lead and i didn't want her to be perfect like she's not she's not um and i almost said not katniss everdeen but you know what katniss everdeen is not perfect either she's not this like perfect i'm gonna make the right decision every time kind of thing but there is like an element of like the decisions she makes don't always work but she has to learn from them. And if you just present a hero or a main character that is just making the right decision every single time, that's not interesting. You know, there, there's nothing interesting about that. So, you know, people make mistakes, people are flawed. And some of the feedback uh, I got from some readers of the triangle were like, I can't believe that this particular thing happens at the end. Uh, after the, the these characters have gone through so much, like how does this? I, I can't believe it. And I was like, well, you know, they're, they're real. To make them real, like things can't always be perfect, right? So like there has to yeah. be, you know, there has to be something that um, we can all relate to because shit doesn't end perfectly. When was the last time you had a perfect day, right? Like I've never had a fucking, fucking never. Day. Yeah. <laughs> so like. You know, that's just kind of how it is. That's reality. And I think that, you know, to get better and to grow as a writer, you have to explore that reality. Not everything's going to work out for your heroes in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So you have an upcoming book and you haven't talked much about it anywhere publicly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to pull some of that out of you. I, I, I want to know if you'll you'll give us a, an into the gloom exclusive here and tell us how you feel maybe cryptids and the coming of age trope mixed together. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of connective tissue between the idea of the unknown and coming of age. So we, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but like you're exploring new territory. And physically, emotionally, mentally, you're going into places that you never believed existed or you had no concept of. And it connects to the, uh, you know, the, the cosmic a little bit. But like cryptids are things that, depending on who you talk to, exist or don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there are some that I'm like, yeah, that could be real. And there's other ones that I'm like, that's just get serious, you know, like uh, stuff like that. But I have a book. Uh, coming out with Raventail. They were very happy with the triangle. They came back and asked, hey, what else you got? And I was like, uh, how about this? And they were like, yes. So I have a book coming out right now. It's called Nocturnal Creatures. And it is about uh, Sasquatch in upstate New York laying siege to uh, an orchard. 
And the way I've been describing it is the strangers meets signs. Oh, wow. Signs is one of my favorite movies. Same. I, I, Big time I will same. die on that fucking hill that the mixture of the cinematography, the music, and that fucking writing. I am such a fanboy for any writing that loose threads are laid throughout a story and you think that they are just that loose threads, but then at the end they are tied together in a perfect bow. So, yep. yeah, I'm, are, I do love you, that. are you doing some of that in this book? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that that's the next. Uh, I don't know that that's the next. I think the next one will be the, the sequel to the triangle will probably come out first. Um, but that will be probably the one after that. I'm hoping that that could be out around September, October of this. Okay. year. That's sort of what I'm going to push for. But um, it's done. I it's it's out with people for blurbs right now. Um, there are three people who are going to be blurbing it, which is fabulous. I'm very excited for that. It's it's dark. It's intense. It has some moments that some and I, I sort of tweeted about it. There's tension that gets built in some of the scenes that just made me cringe writing them because they felt so tense to me. But they are also um, it's very much a young and again, I guess, you know, the, the connective tissue to the, the young. This one is not young adult. This is definitely firmly. It, it is a young character in a firmly adult novel. It's not a YA novel, but it does feature a young person in the lead. Um, mm. And she is experiencing things that, uh, you know, uh, for the first time, you know, feelings, certain emotions she's experiencing. Uh, for the first time, positive and negative, she's experiencing something that none of us could ever relate to this, this possible invading creature uh, coming onto her property or family's property. And it's very, there are sequences that really ratchet me up when I go back and read them. So I hope I'm not overselling it, but I hope people like it. Like I said, it's called as of right now, it's called Nocturnal Creatures. And I'm hoping it'll be out like September, October from Raventail. Awesome. Well, I, I will definitely be keeping an eye out for that. That that sounds like it's right up my alley. And um, yeah, it'd be cool to read a, a longer work from you. Yeah, cool. No, I, I, I hope you like it. If you check it out. I'm a sucker. My wife makes fun of me, man. I love Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I Same. love Sasquatch. I, I uh, like I watch things about Bigfoot and Sasquatch all the time. And um, of all of the cryptids, of all of them, I feel like that one has the best possible chance of maybe being real. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll yeah. But I don't know. There's <sighs> when you find skull fragments in Tibet you know, and teeth and lower jaw of something that you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Who's who are we to say the life is so boring, isn't it? Like life is just the worst. It's just every day, wake up, go to work, pay the bills, go to bed, eat. Don't we need a little magic and a little stuff that's not discovered? If one day someone comes out and it's like, hey, we caught a Bigfoot and it's real. 
what could be more magical than the discovery of something that, you know, people have been saying is real for a long time. We only discovered gorillas for the first time 80 years ago. Yeah. For me, mystery is one of the most flavorful spices of life. And I, I lean into that. And I'm a person that I am very much into gaining information, learning new things, researching, studying. Yep. But at the same time, if I were to think about a, a life where I had all the answers, I would I'd want to kill myself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would like my short story uh, in her infernal name then. Um yeah, I have a short story in there that's exactly about that, about a person who has all of the answers. Oh, that sounds horrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just the, now, the, uh, we've all met people who think they know all the fucking answers and they yeah. are the worst. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's uh, hubris. Yeah. Oh, dude. That's all it is. Ain't none of us know anything. No, no. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that even when it comes to when you're talking about religious beliefs or the lack thereof, I personally struggle with the religious folks that know it all for sure and have it figured out. But then on the flip side, the atheists that are so sure about all of these things that they don't mm -hmm. even have the answers for. And, and so I really love talking with people that are more... Um, uh, I, I guess you could call them believers with a lot of doubts or agnostic sure. folks. It, yeah. it, just for me, it's like, okay, now we can have fun. We can go oh, all yeah. over the place without people planting their flag and saying, I know this for sure. Right. And M. Night Shyamalan has a great quote about that. He always says, I believe in believing. Mm. I believe in believing. What did Shakespeare say, man? There's more things in heaven and earth. Yeah. Who the fuck are we to disagree with Shyamalan or Shakespeare? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. I just Shyamalan and Shakespeare. There we go. <laughs> it, just, it just rolls together. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, uh, it's funny. I do a lot of like lectures and stuff. I, I, I do a lot of readings and lectures about different stuff at libraries and colleges and shit. And one of the questions that I, I get asked is like, oh, do you really believe in the stuff that you write about? And I always say the believe and believing thing, because like, yeah, it's like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. How, who am I? Who am I? First of all, who am I to discount your experience? That's the number one thing. Like, yes. if someone says that they they've seen like a, a very good friend of mine, an amazing writer, Lou Rera. He's an upstate dude. Um, his wife passed away and he heard her voice. In his home after she was gone, who am I to say to discount his experience. Who am I to discount anybody who's gone through a haunting or an alien abduction or a, a Bigfoot sighting? I'm not here to fucking be like, well, you're an idiot. It's this, 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 and this. Yes. Yeah. That would make me an asshole. I'm here to listen. And I don't know if I believe or not, but I believe that you believe it. And I, it's enough for me. Yeah. I love that. I love that because, you know, and don't get me wrong. I have plenty of friends that are, that are, you know, they've been Christians their whole life and they believe it without a shadow of a doubt. And you cannot prove to them otherwise. But then I also have plenty of friends that are atheists and they think that the idea of any sort of God or creator or anything is just asinine and silly, you know, whatever. But just yeah. for me, 
I'm, I'm personally much more comfortable with admitting that I don't have all the answers, admitting that life is full of, of mystery. I mean, even when you talk about science, you talk about science and biology, how long have we been fucking living on this planet? Yet when it comes to the amount of research that we've been doing, the amount of technology that we have, and we don't, we haven't even scratched the surface of what is in the ocean. Like there are still in today's world, deep in the jungles, deep in the rainforest, new species are being found still today. And that's after fucking thousands of species have been wiped off the earth and never come back. (laughs) Right. And it's, and like what we're really, truthfully, what we're talking about is hope. Yeah. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and my wife, again, you know, she's, teases me a lot about how much I love superheroes and stuff. And like I said, I'm a DC guy, but I love Marvel too, in a sense, like nothing in this lifetime would, I I would probably start, I would drop to my knees and cry if I saw Superman in real life because he's hope. It's about hope because knowing that there could be magic in the world, knowing that there could be hope in the world is a powerful thing. And whether you believe or not really hinges on your outlook so much. And it's just, I hope Bigfoot is real. I hope there's something like that that we haven't discovered. I hope that there are aliens. I don't know. But the world would be a lot more interesting if those things did exist. If Superman flew by, nothing would top that. Nothing. It would be the most amazing thing if something like that actually existed. Yeah. No, I agree, man. Hope is beautiful. And for me, I don't care if you're if you're sitting around and you have built all your hope on the second coming of some Christ or your you've built your hope upon getting that Hogwarts letter or you built your hope upon you can't wait to turn into stardust, whatever that thing is like more power to you. But what I don't like to see is then you stepping in trying to steal someone else's hope away from them. And I, th- I think, yeah, we're on the same page. We're saying absolutely, the same thing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's nothing yeah. uglier than than corrupting somebody's um, true belief system. Um, and again, you know, if those beliefs harm other people, sure. that's, that's a negative. We, I don't think anybody would disagree. But like. Yeah. Hey man, if you're a Christian and and you're just being a good person and you're tolerant and accepting of people, that's beautiful. If you're an atheist, same thing. Like, uh, you know, Satanism gets a bad rap, but Satanism is all about the belief in oneself and, you know, supporting others around you. And sorry, not sorry, but like, that's a beautiful thought. Satanism yeah. or not. Well, and when it when it comes to um religious freedom in this specific country you know i mean satanism is at the front of that fucking pack yep. laying the groundwork and making sure that it stays that way and yep. and yeah so it, it's it's always funny when i hear christians getting so upset about the satanists and they did this and they built this statue and it's like you know that the, that what they're standing for is is protecting you as well bro <laughs> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've i've uh i've talked to a lot of satanists and i've talked to um you know, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of alternative uh, religion uh, individuals and stuff. And they've all been the most helpful, nicest mm. um, and supportive in terms of the clarity of information that they give. 
Yeah. I have an open invitation to go to the uh, the temple of um, Azatoth in New York City. I, I can go whenever I want. I haven't gone. But in talking to the people who run it, I would love to go. It seems they're, they're very friendly. Like yeah. I, you know, um, but again, it's just it's it's outlook and it's it's hope for something stronger and something better um, that really horror and comedy, both comedy, probably less or humor, probably a little bit less because, uh, you know, again, people have can have a knee jerk reaction to humor and take things the wrong way and not see the humor in something. But horror is one we can all connect to. And if horror is the language of hope um, and belief and whatnot, then that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that as we've gone on, we have gone off the rails a few times, but I, I feel that we're back on the rails. We're coming to the station. But before we get there, I want to invite you to two places that I, I bring all of my guests into. And the first one is called The Carpenter's Shed. And I mm. simply want to ask you, Robert, what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Yeah. My favorite John Carpenter movie is probably, oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I feel like everybody says the thing or they say Halloween. Um, Those are the two most common answers that I've gotten. But Halloween yeah. is mine. So, I mean, eh. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know, both of those are in my top five of all time. I'll say um, Prince of Darkness. OK, I'll say Prince of Darkness. Um Prince of Darkness is is other than the thing is probably his most cosmic. Yes. Um, same with uh, in the mouth of madness as well, but the the that's his end of the world trilogy, right? So yeah, I'll say I'll say Prince of Darkness. Yeah, Prince of Darkness is it's spooky, man. I mean, it's it's got the over the top carpenter feel to it, of course. Yeah, but there is. I mean, it's been out long enough now. I'm not. I'm not going to worry about spoilers. <laughs> but that broadcast, something about that Ooh. broadcast, and just the way that it is shown, and it's it's very dreamlike, and it's it's blurred. That shit creeps me out because the way that it was a broadcast and tied in with dreaming. Um, I used to when I was younger. I was on this this kick where I was practicing lucid dreaming and to the point where like I was listening to talks about it. I was reading books about it and I was training myself to be able to lucid dream. And so really what you do is in your waking life, you have to find some triggers. And for me, what I was doing was I was constantly in my waking life. I was counting people's fingers and so anytime I was talking to seeing people, I would look down and I would count their fingers and I built that habit. And then it, the habit became so strong that I would bring that into my dream life. And when you're counting fingers or you're looking at clocks, you know, it, it doesn't line up in a dream the way that it does in waking life. And so that was sort of my my trigger. But then as I started lucid dreaming more and I was also like, you know, take take an LSD and shrooms and, and stuff like that <laughs> at that time. But there was a, a blur between waking life and dream life. And even looking back now, it fucking creeps me out. And it also 
anybody that has lucid dreams, they will tell you that sometimes that makes them susceptible to sleep paralysis. And that happened to me. And let me tell you, sleep paralysis is the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. It is, it's, it's horrifying. Why did I even start talking? Oh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Yeah, So Prince of Darkness reminds me of like lucid dreaming and, and sleep paralysis and that, that blending of the two worlds. And, and so, yeah, it, it left a, a mark on me. And actually I, the, the first time I was watching Prince of Darkness, I fell asleep during the oh, movie. fuck that. And yeah, <laughs> so I, I had in my dream, I was hearing that, that broadcast and mm-hmm. it freaked me out. So yeah. because it gave me that scare, it will always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> it's, it's. Again, it's it's the the middle of his his end of the world trilogy. People don't talk enough about it. I'll say that just, you know, again, everybody says Halloween or the thing. So but it's, yeah. it's hard because he really I, I struggle to think of a bad Carpenter movie. I guess you would say Escape from L.A. or The Ward, but like two movies in a filmography that includes however many over a dozen. Come on. The fog. I would maybe even say the fog, but I'll I'll stick with Prince of Darkness. If it wasn't for Halloween, I would say the fog. I really I love the fog, and that's one yeah. of those other movies that I can watch over and over and over, and I'm constantly mm-hmm. revisiting it. Um, but I will say that my debut novel, The Window, I wrote that entire novel exclusively listening to the soundtrack for the fog while awesome. I was writing. So and, that's one of his best soundtracks. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And so now when I watch it back, I have all those extra memories from my writing that, yeah. that start coming up. And yeah, that, that that's a good one. That's a really good movie. Hell yeah. Okay, so allow me to now take you by the hand and lead you into the King's Corner. And uh, you're, you're laughing. I know why you're laughing, because we already touched on this a little bit off air. But I want to ask you, what is your favorite King book? And also, what is your least favorite? And now I guess you can let us know why you're laughing. <laughs> so I've only ever read two uh, King books. <laughs> and, uh, and I know that I have so many. I have all of them. I just haven't read any of them beyond these two. So I'll say my favorite is on writing and I'll say my least favorite uh, or the one that I don't like, I guess is thinner, but I will say I do love thinner, but if mm-hmm. I have to, I've only read the two. And if I'm, if, if there's a gun to my head and it's like one of them, you keep forever. The other one is getting wiped from the face of the earth. The lessons that you get from on writing are better than any master's level coursework you'll ever do. Yeah. So on writing is the one that has to stay. Yeah. No, on writing is masterful. I, I, I listen to it every few years, the audiobook, which Stephen King does the narration of. So it's even better. You hear it in his voice. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I will say, you know, thinner. Damn. Originally, that was a, a Bachman book. And a lot of people have a lot of hate for thinner. But for me, I really like it. You know, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not like top five or anything like that, but I do enjoy it. But I will say that if you like thinner, there are some really good books out there 
from King. And I know everybody probably always says this and, you know, you need to read more. And I agree. But yeah. I will say I was listening to an interview that you did, um, I, you know, a little a little research before we got together. But you had mentioned the the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. That you had all the books and you looked behind you and you you mentioned Pet Cemetery. Yeah, Pet Cemetery is not only my favorite Stephen King. <laughs> I have it right down there. <laughs> it, I, it's a sign, man. It's yeah. it, that book. It's not. It's not just my favorite Stephen King book. It is my favorite book of all time. It is. It is dark. It is heavy. There. You know, we talked a lot about hope. There's not much of that in that in that book. <laughs> But it is the best, the best book that I've ever seen on the topics of death and grief. Mm-hmm. Just a masterclass on that. So, you know, if 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 I were to tell you, you need to read this Stephen King book, I would say Pets, Pet Cemetery. Have, have you seen the movie? Oh, yeah. I've seen okay. both. Uh, I love the original. I, I don't like the new one, but yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I do I, I love I that's the one that I'm going to read when I do read you know next that's definitely the one I have to read I have to finish Brian Bowyer's um, Autumn Gothic that's that's I'm reading that now I just finished uh, Charlene Elsby's Musos wow <laughs> staggeringly good just everyone needs to buy that it's unbelievable and um so i just finished that and i'm going to read brian or i'm reading brian bowyer's book now after that i'm going to read pet cemetery that's my promise to myself to you all right all of your fabulous listeners i'm going to read pet cemetery after brian bowyer's autumn gothic um i'm gonna hold you to that i'm please i'm gonna be messaging you in like a month please please do i don't know how fast you read Oh, I'm a fucking slow reader. I am. Okay. I'm so slow. I, if I have time, then I could do it. But like with teaching and the writing and all that yeah. nonsense, like it's all it, it, it sucks because like my writing time is then my reading time and backwards and forwards. But I, I think in about a month, I'll probably have at least started it. OK. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, what I'm currently reading. I just started this yesterday. And I haven't even told him this, so and I, I, I'm pretty sure he listens, so he'll know. But I'm reading um, this book by Michael Benavides. Nice. It's um, it's a collection, and I was blown away by just the it. It's so the 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 prose is so purple, and I don't say that as a knock. I mean, it's very flowery, and it's very clear. I know that Michael is a crazy fanboy when it comes to Clive Barker and yeah. it shows Clive Barker's influences all over this writing. And I, I really enjoy it. So that's awesome. I, uh, if you like, if you're a Barker guy and you're, I haven't read that book, the Michael Benavides book. Um, but I will say, uh, Michael Tyree, um, he is, he is very Clive Barkery. Mm. as well so he's got two collections out um but yeah tyree's a good guy his uh his writing is very much i just killed a bug on the uh window um (laughs) his book is very very or his books rather or his storytelling in general is very barkery so uh i would recommend picking him up and 
pick up some Eric Hansen also. He's my boy. Uh, All right. Well, yeah, I read I read Hansen's um, newest book in, in preparation for for the podcast. And I do have Michael coming on later on as a future guest. So oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get to my my goal with this has been I want to read, you know, a book from whoever I have on. But now sure. with my writing, with my audiobook narration, with my other reading, with doing this podcast, it's just it's it's beginning to be too much. And so I'm mm-hmm. having to sort of reassess. That's why I asked you before you came. I was like, do you have any short stories I can check out? Because I, I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to have time to read one of your long. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, hope, hopefully I, I, I will read something by Michael, but maybe I'll have have the time and opportunity to read um, his his collection. Um, it's great. Pottersfield Blues is great. His new one's great. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, then I've got one more question for you. Yeah. What are we we talked a lot that, you know, our, our theme, our topic for this episode was horror comedy or comedy mm-hmm. and horror. So what what are three comedy horror books that you want to recommend to our listeners? Ooh. Um, and if you have to throw a movie in there, are, I know that particularly more movies than books within this particular subgenre. So if you want to throw in a movie, you can do that too. Okay. Um, hmm. I think that there is, you know, there, there's funny moments in a lot of, you know, particularly intense horror um, books, but I will say there actually is a book called uh, from UFO press. I think it's UFO press called funny horror. That's pretty good. Um there's also a anthology that I'm a part of. I have a story in it, uh, Coffin Flowers. That's sort of like a funny, sort of horror-y, funny kind of anthology. You could check that out. And I will say that um, there is a collection called Amongst Friends from Gypsum Sound Tales that has some very funny work in there. There's some horror in there. There's um, a lot of sort of um, emotionally driven stuff in there. It's also a fundraising anthology. So Amongst Friends from Gypsum Sound Tales, uh, Funny Horror from UFO, and I'll say Coffin Blossoms, uh, who, and I feel bad, but I don't remember the publisher of that one. But even though I'm in it, what a shitty person I am. Um, but I'll say those three. I'll say those three. Check those out. You get a nice wide array of, uh, of material in there for sure. All right. All right. Well, sounds good. And so I I just want to let all of our listeners know or just remind you, be looking out for a a Sasquatch book um, with 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 some strong coming of age tropage going on there. But in the meantime, while you're waiting, if you want to read something by Robert, check out his YA horror the triangle you said what did you say it was it was water world meets what water world meets uh at the mountains of madness okay hell yeah hell yeah well robert otone <laughs> thank you for stepping into the gloom with me thank you for having me it's been uh it's been a lot of fun and i'm sorry we went off the rails so much <laughs> no worries 
no worries. It's, it's sort of become, um, it's, I guess it's becoming what I'm known for. So I'm just going to embrace it. Fiery train crashes, but we always, as, 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 I don't know how many people die in these crashes, but we always get the train back on the rails. Awesome. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. <laughs>